So tonight, I'm going to look at, we're all going to look at DNC 1. And particularly, we're going to focus on, on a single word in DNC 1. I mean, we'll, we'll go through a lot of it. Um, but let's just start and start in DNC 1, verse 1, with the word hearken. Hearken, O you people of my church, meaning listen. And this is a theme throughout the very, throughout, throughout DNC 1, section 1, verse 1. There's this theme of listening. Hearken, who? Hearken, who? O ye people of my church, saith the voice of him who dwells on high and whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily I say, hearken. Of course, there it is again. Hearken, ye people from afar. And ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. So we have this theme right off the bat of new and everlasting covenant. Because when we enter into the new and everlasting covenant, that's who we're listening to. We seek for the commandments coming from the Father. We listen to them. We hear them. And then we go out and we exercise faith and we fulfill the commandment that he gives us. Um, this is perpetuated over and over again in the Book of Mormon. Um, let's, let's begin to break it down. Hearken, O ye people of my church. Let's cross-reference that with Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Um, and Jesus is gathered. Well, let's just read it. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So you can kind of get a visual of what's going on. Um, I mean, Jesus, he's, he's, he's by the seaside. He, he, he goes out of a house. He gets on a boat, and there's a whole multitude in front of him. And, and he starts to teach them. And he spake many things unto them in parables. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And we're going to go through four sets of seeds. Pay attention to, to what happens in these four different groupings of the different seeds. So the first grouping we have, the seeds, uh, they, they fell out of, they just, maybe the sower had a bag, and they just fell out of the bag, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun, now that's the second, the second class of seeds. And when they, and when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. So the first group, they didn't even get to, to take root. The second group, they, they don't take deep root. And so when the sun comes, they're burned up and some others fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them out. So in this third group, we have some seeds that have taken root but that are choked out by other plants, by, by weeds. Verse eight, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. And of course, the fruit we're talking about here is the same fruit that Lehi and his family went forth and partook of the tree of life. It's the fruit of eternal life. Some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 30-fold. Now, here we get into what we want to discuss with DNC 1. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Christ has just given this parable of seeds to all of these different people on the seashore. And if you remember, uh, 
think about the group of the the people in the city of Limhi and and the city of King Noah and this these different these different classes uh, of individuals that existed in the city of King Noah and in the city of of Limhi. Now in the first group, uh, Abinadi went in to try and search people out who were looking for Christ. And he he went into the city and he didn't find a single one. He started teaching and nobody went with him. So he goes and he comes back two years later and he goes two years later and he gets one individual to come out. And that's a Benadi or that's uh Alma Yeller, sorry. Uh and then after that, Abinadi is Abinadi is martyred. And um, after that, Alma the Young or Alma the Elder goes back in in secret and begins to preach. And he gets 240 souls, I think, that follow him out to the waters of Mormon. And then after that, the final class of individuals stay in the city and they are taken into bondage by the Lamanites. And 75% of them are, are killed. Remember, there's a series of wars, war after war. And these the Lamanites come in and destroy them and kill them. So here we have four different classes, and and in the situations we just talked about, we have four different classes. Uh, verse nine. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou in parables? So they're like, Why don't you just tell this people? I mean, we understand what you're trying to say, but why don't you just tell these people so that they can understand simply? Just just tell them what you're going to tell them, and. The Lord says, he answered, in verse 11, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you, the disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Okay, and we're going to cross-reference that verse to give us a kind of a, a deeper understanding of verse 12. Let's cross-reference that with Alma chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Go ahead and get there. See if you can get there. Verse 9, Alma chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. So now we get a little bit more understanding as to why the Lord or why Christ is teaching these people in parables so that if they are not meant to understand that they don't understand. But if they want to put forth the effort and think about the parable that they will begin, if they want to plant a seed and, and try and think about the parable and seek revelation, then they will understand it. Let's continue in Alma verse 10. And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. So in other words, if you let this seed, if you let this parable, he's telling these people, if you let this parable take root in your heart, and if you think about it, I will give you more. 
uh, verse 11 in Alma chapter 12. And they that will, and they that will harden their hearts to them is given the lesser portion of the word until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by, and led by his will down to his destruction. Now, this is what is meant by the change of chains of hell. Let's go back and read in Luke or in uh, Matthew 12, Matthew chapter 13, verse 12. One more time. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Doesn't that just parallel perfectly with what Amulek is teaching the people of Ammonihah? Um, okay, back to, back to Matthew 13, verse 13. Therefore, the Lord says to his disciples, therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So if, if people, if the people are meant to understand, then they will seek it out and they will put forth the time and the effort to understand. So speaking to them really is a mercy that, that Christ is giving to them. Verse 14, and in them, them being the parables, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which is Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall understand not, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Okay, that's an, let's break down that one little statement there. That's an interesting statement. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, the word gross meaning full, meaning that their hearts are full and not necessarily of something good. Um, and the word waxed, how did their hearts become full of whatever it is they're full of? Well, it was little by little. The way you dip a candle in wax, it was little by little. It's, it's over and over and over. It's, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. And that works with both the word of Christ and false doctrine as well. We can fill our hearts with false doctrine to the point that we are not willing to listen to true doctrine. For this people's heart is waxed gross um, to the point where they're not open to any truth. They're full of the philosophies of men and they don't want to hear anymore. And their eyes are dull of hearing and their, and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So the reason I'm teaching them in parables is so that they can see, so that they can put forth effort and time and an investment. And if they do that, if they come to me with broken hearts, I will help them understand and I will heal them. So. The word is the, the parable, the parable is giving them a chance. It's giving those who, who it's a separation. He's separating those who truly are seeking an opportunity to understand and those who don't care an opportunity not to be held accountable. Um, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets, now let's preface verse 17. Um, it's almost as if, so Christ, they asked Christ why he's teaching in parables and he tells them. 
And it's almost as if in verse 17 that he is giving them another parable all to themselves. So Christ says to them, for verily I say unto you, now he's talking to his disciples, people that do have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see. Well, what things are they seeing that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see? Well, he's right in front of them. He's teaching them. It's Christ himself. Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear. Well, what things are they hearing that other prophets and righteous men may not have heard? may not have heard. Well, it's the voice of Christ himself. He's right in front of them. And to hear those things which he hear and have not heard them. So in other words, these prophets, those prophets and righteous men never saw Christ in the flesh and never heard the words of Christ like these disciples are seeing. So just almost like a parable inside of a parable about, about having eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Let's cross-reference DNC 1, verse 1, one more time. Let's go to Moroni 8, verse 8, where, where again, almost to the end of the Book of Mormon, and it's almost as if this is Moroni's last-ditch effort to, to plead with people, to open their ears, to hearken, to listen. He says, Moroni chapter 8, verse 8, listen to the words of of Christ. Okay, we're hailing back to the new and everlasting covenant. There's no caveat there. It's not go listen to the words of this man to find out what you need to be doing. There's no man that has the power to to call you back, to to bring you back home. The only person with the power to bring you back to Father is Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ, your redeemer, your Lord, and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician, but they that are sick. In other words, we're all sick. Who's he talking to? Listen to the words of Christ. Well, whoever is reading the book, of course, we all have need to listen to the words of Christ. Listen to the words of Christ. And how do we receive these words? Well, the only way is through revelation, and there are no other qualifiers. Like we said, it doesn't say go, go and listen to this man in order to get to Christ, but go to Christ himself and receive revelation. Listen to the words of Christ. In other words, enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Go to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and allow him to work on your heart. Allow him to open up your heart. Allow him to, to give you everything that you will need to enter into Father's presence again. He is the only one that can give it to you. So chapter one or section one, verse one of DNC, the theme right away, immediately, first thing is entering into the new and everlasting covenant. Come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Listen to him. Hearken. Like it says, it's, it, it almost could not be any clearer. Um, let's see. Let's go back and read. Let's go back and read verse one one more time. Hearken, 
Hearken who? Hearken. Listen, please listen. It's almost as if he's begging us. Hearken, O you people of my church. Now we're talking about the church of Christ, and we'll get into that in a minute. Saith the voice of him who dwells on high, and whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily I say, hearken, ye people from afar, and ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. There's not one of you. He's saying there's not one of you that doesn't need this. Just come to me and listen. I beg you, enter into the new covenant. Um, so the Lord, the second thing the Lord tells us, he gives us a command to hearken. And the next, the next phrase, he defines who he wants to hearken. So the Lord gives a command, and then he states who he wants to listen to that command. Well, who is this message for? Well, he says, the people of my church. And we, we kind of have in our heads, because of our traditions, I think, that the church is a building or a temple or a place that we need to go to to be instructed. And that's not the case at all. Um, let's look at it. Let's go to 3 Nephi 27. 3 Nephi 27 verses 7 and 8 to find out a little bit more about who the people of my church are and what the name of that church is. What does it look like? It's not a building. Uh, 3 Nephi 27, 7 and 8, starting in verse 7, Christ says, Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore, ye shall call the church in my name. Who has the power to bring us home to Father? Well, it's Jesus Christ. How do we get to Father? It is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's nobody that gets to Father unless it's through him. Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Whatever you do, just do it in my name and you'll be okay. Just look to me. Therefore, ye shall call the church in my name. And ye shall call upon the Father in my name that he will bless the church for my sake. How be it my church, save it be called in my name. For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. So what does the church of Christ look like? Well, it's all there in section 1, verse 1. It is a group of people who listen to the Lord. That's what the church of Christ is. And this is exactly what was going on in 1830. Um, in 1830, Joseph established a church, April 6, 1830, and he called it the Church of Christ. It wasn't called the Church of the Latter-day Saints. It wasn't called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was called the Church of Christ. And it was the same order of church. It was a terrestrial level church with the intent that if the saints really did really did hearken and enter into the new everlasting covenant, that that would bring them, that that would have the power to bring them into Zion, even back then in 1830. Um, so that was what Joseph Smith's mission was. He was there to prepare the saints to enter Zion. And this is the same exact level that the Nephites were at when Christ came to see them in starting in 3 Nephi 11. Before then, they were in a preparatory gospel, the Nephites, with Nephi possessing Aaronic priesthood and baptizing 
by baptizing with water for the remission of unto, unto repentance for the remission of sins, an ironic level. And then we see Christ coming and instituting and giving authority in the Melchizedek priesthood to enter into Zion. Um, and I'm going to share my screen real quick so you can see what I'm looking at here. There it is. Um, I hope you can see that. Can you see that, everyone? Dustin Grady? Oh, he's not there. Yeah. You can see it? Okay, perfect. Um, so what we're looking at is the Book of Commandments. And now this, this, this book was the forerunner to the Doctrine and Covenants, a Book of Commandments for the government of the Church of Christ, okay, organized on April 6, 1830. Um, Okay, this is now remember, this is the same order that existed in in fourth Nephi. So let's read about that. Fourth Nephi 1 1. And it came to pass that third that the 30 and fourth year passed away, and also the 30 and fifth. And behold, the disciples of Jesus had formed a church of Christ in all the lands round about. And as many as did come unto them and did truly repent of their sins were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they did also receive the Holy Ghost. Now, this topic has been covered pretty extensively, the different orders of the churches, uh, telestial and a terrestrial and a celestial order, uh, the Church of the Firstborn by, by Phil Davis, and there's lots of podcasts on it, so we won't, we won't get into it too much. Um, but yeah, it was called the Church of Christ, and what the Nephites experienced in Zion, in 4th Nephi, is exactly the same order of the gospel that Joseph Smith wanted to bring the members of the Church of Christ to in his time. So to understand what happened to the church in Joseph's time, let's understand what happened to it in Nephites, in, in the Nephites' time. So we go down, and they live for a couple hundred years in complete peace, and we go down to verse 24 in 4th Nephi, and we read, and now in this 201st year, there began to be among them those who were lifted up in pride, such as the wearing of costly apparel and all manner of fine pearls and of the things of the world. And from that time, so a small amount of pride entered into the church and what happened as a result of that small amount of pride. And from that time forth, they did have their goods and their substance no more common among them. And they began to be divided into classes and they began to build up churches unto themselves to get gain and began to deny the true church of Christ. So you've got other churches coming in that are not the church of Christ, that are lower level churches formed of men up, built up to get gain that have come in and taken the place of the church of Christ. So the people in Nephite's time did the same thing that the people in Joseph's time did. They decided that they did not want to enter into the new and everlasting covenant anymore. And verses 24 through 26 in 4th Nephi is what it looked like in their time. And DNC 84 is what it looked like when the church was put under condemnation was what it looked like in Joseph's time. So they, Joseph established this order of the gospel, the terrestrial order, and they were demoted in 1832. And that demotion was complete with the, with the dedication of the Kirtland Temple in 1834, and 
And at that time, they entered into, just like the Nephites right here, they entered into a lower level of the gospel, the telestial order. And that's why we get um, in, we get, we, we, we get a new book of scripture. We no longer use the book of commandments. We now have the Doctrine and Covenants. And this is a first edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So this is really interesting. Let's go back to, to 3 Nephi 7, 3 Nephi 27, 7 and 8. Again, if a church is Christ's church, therefore you shall call the church in my name, and you shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. Howbeit my church, save it be called in my name, for if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. So here we used we had this church called the Church of Christ, and Christ took his name out of the church and replaced it with what? Well, the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So it was Christ's church, and now we've got a church that is the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So if it's Christ's church, it carries his name. If it's the Church of the Latter-day Saints, then it carries their name. And so now let's 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 look let's take another example. We've looked at the church during Joseph's time. We've looked at the church during the Nephites' time and what happened there. Let's look at one more one more situation. Let's look at the church in the time of of Moses. Um, so let's go to Exodus 32. Let's start in verse 19. I'll give you a minute to get there. Exodus 32. Verses 19, let's start there and we'll, we'll skip 20. It's not really relevant to what we're talking about. Starting in verse 19, and it shall come to, and it came to pass as soon as he was nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf. And now this is Moses we're talking about. He's just come down off of Mount Sinai. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses's anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And Moses said unto Aaron, in verse 21, what did this people, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? In other words, what happened, Aaron? I just left for a little while and now I'm back and, and the whole thing is, is awry. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. And so, in other words, it's almost comical. Like, like Moses, come on. Like, you knew this was going to happen. Like, you know how these people are. They're just, they're, they're set on mischief. Like, they're just, they're going to do this. That's what they do. They're not necessarily all that worried about entering into the new and everlasting covenant. They just want their idols. They want what they want. And, and I just gave them what they want. Verse 23, for they said unto Moses, make us gods or for they said unto me this is Aaron speaking sorry they said unto me make us gods which shall go before us for as for as for this Moses the man that brought us up out of out of the land of Egypt we wot not where is be, what is become of him in other words like our god our guy we had a guy and now he's gone we don't know where he went so Aaron says unto him and I said unto them Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they, so they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Um, 
So we've, we've now looked at three different examples of three different groups of people that had the fullness of the gospel, that had the terrestrial order gospel, and they gave it up. They didn't want it. We looked at the people in Joseph's time. We looked at the people in the Nephites' time, and we looked at the Israelites under, under the direction of Moses and Aaron. And I am going to share my screen again one more time and show you what this looked like in the time of Joseph Smith. They dedicated the Kirtland Temple in 1834, and instead of carrying the name of Christ, this is the marquee. If you're looking at my screen, you're looking, you're seeing that, um, you're seeing the marquee, and the name on the church is not the Church of Christ. It is the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And they continued calling and addressing this church. Um, this was sent, this, just, Justin Griffin found this. Um, and you can see right here, uh, uh, republished by Johnny Page, elder of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, even up until the time of 1844. And really, if we're being honest with ourselves, the Church of the Latter-day Saints should be, is the correct name of the church today not necessarily the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we won't, we won't get into that. That's not really pertinent to this lesson, but um, it, was, it was Joseph received the revelation to that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would be the millennial name of the church when the, when the saints finally entered into Zion, that that would be the name of the church. And somebody took it. I, I, don't, I think it might have been Sidney. Somebody just took this revelation and kind of ran with it and, and changed the name of the church to to uh, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so let's get back. Let's get back to DNC two. DNC two, verse two. Now that we understand what the Lord is asking us to do, He's asking us to listen to Him, and He's asking everyone who would become a member of His Church of the Church of Christ to listen to His commandments. In other words. If you want to enter into Zion, listen to me. That's the whole point of DNC section one, verse one. Come to me, enter into the new and everlasting covenant, and I will make you all equal. I will make you members of my church so that there are no rich among you, so that there are no poor, so that you all live in peace and in Zion. That was the point. That was the point of the Church of Christ. That was what Joseph Smith tried so hard to get the saints to understand. DNC section one, verse two. For verily, for verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape, and there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. And the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow, for their iniquity shall be spoken upon the housetops, and their secret acts shall be revealed. Now, we're not necessarily talking about Joseph Smith's first ministry. And we're not going to get into first ministry and secondary minute, second ministry too much. It's been talked about a lot in the Zoom cast, and you can go and find plenty of Zoom casts on doctrineofchrist.com talking about uh, DNC 101, DNC 103, um, and Joseph's first and second ministry. But this is this verse two is much more pertinent to Joseph's second ministry. Verses two and three is much more pertinent to Joseph's second ministry than it is his first ministry. Um, and let's, to understand that a little more, let's cross-reference verses 2 and 3 in DNC to 2 Nephi chapter 30, verses 16 through 18. 
give you a second to get there. Second Nephi chapter 30, let's just verses 16 through 18, starting in verse 16. Wherefore, the things of all nations shall be made known. Yea, all things shall be known un- made known unto the children of men. There is nothing which is in secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Wherefore, all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day, and that's an Isaiah reference for for our time right now at the last day, at that day be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. Now that didn't happen in Joseph Smith's first ministry in 1840. We're talking about a second ministry here. We're talking about right now. That's what Nephi is talking about. Wherefore, all things, again in verse 18, all things which which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day, right now, be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. And now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my sayings. Um, If you remember, um, I mean, the whole world right now, you can see it so blatantly. The whole world is covered in darkness. And there are not very many people that are awake and that are seeing what is going on in the world and with the church and with with COVID and with the masks and with the vaccines, there are so few that actually see it. But eventually, what, what section one and what Nephi is talking about there is that all of those things, everything will be made known. There's nothing that won't be brought out into the light. Uh, let's go back to DNC section one. We were verse four. DNC section one, verse four. And the voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples whom I have chosen in these last days. And they shall go forth and none shall stay them for I, the Lord, have commanded them. Again, much more pertinent, pertinent to Joseph Smith's first ministry, but even much more pertinent to Joseph Smith's second ministry. Who are the mouths of the disciples? Who are the disciples that we're talking about here? Well, to find that out, let's go to DNC 88, verses 74 through 79. Remember, we're talking about a a group of people who follow Jesus Christ and who go out and with their mouths, they, they preach the true doctrine of Christ. They preach the new and everlasting covenant and, and nothing will get in their way. None shall stay them. Okay, let's cross-reference DNC 88, 74 through 79, starting in verse 74. And I give unto you who are the first laborers in this last kingdom. So there will be a group of people, and you can search this out on your own in DNC 101 and 103, who these people are. They are the servants that come with Joseph in his last ministry. And I give unto you who are the first laborers in the last kingdom a commandment that you assemble yourselves together. So right there, we have, we have essence of the new and everlasting covenant, a commandment from the Lord himself, a commandment that you assemble yourselves together and organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and sanctify yourselves. Yea, purify your hearts and cleanse your hands and your feet before me that I may make you clean, that I may testify unto your father and your God and my God that you are clean from the blood of this wicked generation. 
that I may fulfill this promise, this great and last promise, which I have made unto you when I will. Also, I give unto you a commandment that you shall, that you shall continue in prayer and fasting from this time forth. Now, these are all commandments that these first laborers, these disciples, these first laborers in the last kingdom are receiving. They're entering into the new and everlasting covenant. That's what he's saying. That's what the Lord is saying when he says, also, I give you a commandment. It's them entering into the new and everlasting covenant and saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he's telling them. 76 again. And also, also, I give unto you a commandment that you shall continue in prayer and fasting from this time forth. And I give unto you a commandment that you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. What is the doctrine of the kingdom? Well, there is no other doctrine other than the doctrine of Christ. Christ lays that out so clearly in 3 Nephi 11. Um, that any who adds or takes away from my doctrine, it cometh of evil. And I give unto you a commandment that ye shall teach one another the doctrine of my kingdom. Teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory, in principle, in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient for you to understand, of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations and the judgments which are on the land, which are on the land and a knowledge also of countries and kingdoms. So the Lord is giving very, very specific commandments to his disciples or the first labors in the last kingdom. Let's go back to DNC 1. Um, I think we let verse 6. We left off in verse 6. Verse 6, DNC section 1. Behold, this is mine authority and the authority of the servants. Remember, we just read about those servants, the, the labors, the first labors in the last kingdom, and what their calling is. Behold, this is mine authority and the authority of my servants, and my preface unto the book of commandments, which I we just we just read about that. That was what that was what the forerunner to the doctrine of covenants was. And my preface unto the book of commandments, which I have given them to publish unto you, O inhabitants of the earth. So who is this going out to? This is not just simply going out to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is not just going out to Joseph Smith's disciples. It's not just going, or, or the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not just going out to the first laborers in the, in the last kingdom. It's going out to all of the inhabitants of the entire earth. In other words, the entire earth is invited to enter into the new covenant of, of coming to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Verse 7. Wherefore, fear and tremble, O ye people, for what I, the Lord, have decreed in them shall be fulfilled. In what? In, in this book, the book of commandments. And verily I say unto you, that they who go forth bearing these tidings unto the inhabitants of the earth, what tidings, glad tidings? Well, that we have a Savior, we have a Redeemer, and all we have to do is enter into covenant with him, and he will save us. Verse 8, sorry. And, and behold, and verily I say unto you, that they who go forth bearing these tidings unto the inhabitants of the earth, to them is given power. To them is power given to seal both on earth and in heaven the unbelieving and rebellious. So we're given something new there. These, these disciples, these first labors in the last kingdom are going to be given a power 
a power to seal both on heaven and in earth. And this power that he's talking about is the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood. It's the sealing power. It's the same power that Nephi had in third Nephi or uh, Helaman 10 and 11. It's the same power that is spoken about in that Melchizedek used to bring his people out of bondage in JST Genesis 14. Um, let's cry. And it's, there's, there's another place it's talked about that I don't think is quite as well known. Um, let's cross reference that last verse, verse eight with third Nephi 21, nine through 22. And this is Christ teaching the Nephites about a servant about a man that will come forth in in our time, in the last days, who will lead his people out, just as Moses led the Israelites out by, by the power of the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood, or the sealing power of the priesthood. It's the same power, it's elemental control, it's the same power that Moses used to part the Red Sea to bring the Israelites out to safety. So again, Cross-referencing that last verse, verse 8, with 3 Nephi 21, 9 through 22. Now, we've got immediately right off the bat, we've got another Isaiah metaphor. For in that day, which is today, it's right now, for my sake shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and marvelous work among them. Does that sound like DNC 4? We'll read that in a minute. Um, it's right now, it's happening right now before our very eyes, which shall be a great and marvelous work among them, and there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Now, who is that man? But behold, the life of my servant, the servant being Joseph Smith Jr. We're not going to take all the time to explain that. It's been gone over time and time again. But behold, my servant of my the, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Um, if you do want to research it, again, DNC 101, 103, and there's a thousand podcasts on drchrist.com about this very topic. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of, him, because of them. This is the marred servant. This is Joseph Smith, also the Davidic servant, the one mighty and strong, um, the right hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, righteousness, the polished quiver. In or the polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord, all the same person, all Joseph Smith returning for his second ministry. Yet I will heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Therefore, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles or unto us members of the Restoration Branches, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's who he's speaking to here. Which the Father shall cause to cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles and shall give, shall give unto him power. That power is the patriarchal Lord, the Melchizedek priesthood, shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles. It shall be done even as Moses said. They shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant. And my people, the people who enter into the new covenant, my people who are a remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles. That's members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yea, in the midst of them as a lion 
among the beasts of the forest. It's a metaphor. Think about how a lion hunts. He's, he's sneaky and he is not seen by everyone around him. Lion among the, the beasts of the forest and as a young lion among the flocks of the sheep. In other words, they don't even know he's there. Who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces and none can deliver. In other words, us as servants and Joseph Smith as a leader, there will, be, there will not be a way for the nations of the world to stand up against him. Their hand shall be lifted up upon their adversaries and their enemies shall be cut off. Yea, woe be unto the Gentiles, us, he's speaking to us, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and all those who receive the Book of Mormon, all those who receive the, the scriptures of the Restoration. Yea, woe be unto the Gentiles, except they repent, for it shall come to pass in that day, right now, saith the Father, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. In other words, soon, who knows how, when this will be, but all of our transportation will be cut off. And I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. Now, how will all this be done? Well, we'll find out in a minute. And I will cut off thy witchcrafts, witchcrafts out of thy land, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Soothsayers are the individuals who, who lull you into a sleep, who, who by, their, by their flowery words and the things that they say, um, they lead the hearts of the children of men astray. Uh, thy graven images I will also cut off. In verse 17, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the works of thy hands. In other words, all of our idols will be cut down. And the, the only thing we will have is Jesus Christ. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee. So will I destroy thy cities. And it shall come to pass that all lyings and deceivings and envyings and strifes and priestcrafts and whoredoms shall be done away. And how will all of this be done? How will the servant come in and, and do everything that we're talking about, that Jesus Christ is prophesying right here? Well, it will be by the power of the priesthood. It will be by the patriarchal order or the sealing power. Again, the same power that, that Nephi had, the son of Helaman in Helaman 10 and 11. Verse 20 in 3 Nephi. For it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that at that day, right now, whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved son, them will I cut off from among my people, O house of Israel, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. By the power of the priesthood will he do it. But if they will repent, and here's that word, and hearken unto my words. In other words, he's He's on his knees. He's practically begging us. He's just saying, just come to me and listen. And everything that I've said to you here, all of these terrible things will not happen to you. I will deliver you. I will look out for you. I will lead you out, but you have to listen to me. You have to hearken to my words, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of your father and of no one else. And harden not their hearts, and I will establish my church among them. We're talking about entering into a Zion-like community, into, into the church of Jesus Christ, into a millennial state, a terrestrial state. Verse 22, one more time. 
But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them. And they shall come in unto the covenant. What covenant? The new and everlasting covenant. And be numbered among this with the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. Back to DNC. Back to DNC section one. DNC section one, verse nine. Yea, verily to seal them up unto the day when the wrath of God shall be poured out upon the wicked without measure. And I would just submit that that day is upon us. It is here unto the day when the Lord shall recompense unto every man according to his work and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow man. And so in other words, verse 10, what goes around comes around. Whatever you put out, you will also collect. It will come back to you. Verse 11, DNC section one. Wherefore, the voice of the Lord is unto the ends of the earth, that all that will hear may hear. I mean, do you see this theme going throughout DNC section one? It's listen, hear, open your eyes. I am here to save you, is what the Lord says. But you have to listen. You just have to open your ears. He's begging us to listen. Verse 12, prepare ye, prepare ye for that which is to come, for the Lord is nigh. In other words, when should we listen? Well, right now. There's no better time than the present. Verse 13, and the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. It's coming. It's upon us. And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed. And the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and the apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. And here in verse 14, we get reference to the arm of the Lord. And remember in, in Isaiah, throughout Isaiah, we have references to the left hand of the Lord and the right hand of the Lord. The Lord has two arms, a left arm and a right arm. And let's make reference to both of those in the first one starting in second, both in second Nephi eight, the first one, second Nephi chapter eight, verse five. Um, I don't know that you need to turn there. I can just read it real quick. Second Nephi chapter eight, verse five. My righteousness is near. Righteousness, if you remember, is a metaphor for the end time servant for the marred servant that we just read about in third Nephi 21 for the Davidic servant. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. My and mine arm. There we go. Reference to the arm that we just read in verse 14 of section one. Mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me and on mine arm shall they trust. So where is our deliverance going to come from? Well, it will come from the end time servant who is Joseph Smith Jr. Second Nephi 8, 9. Now here we get a reference to a different reference to the arm of the Lord. Awake, awake. Put on strength. Again, Second Nephi 8, 9. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days. And thou, art thou not he that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? So here we get a, an arm of the Lord that is, that is destructive. Let's go back to DNC, DNC verse 15, DNC one verse 15. Um, and this is really cool. For they have strayed from mine ordinance and have broken mine everlasting covenant. Now, what period of time are we talking about? 
because DNC one, this this is in the Book of Commandments, um, which they were still in a terrestrial order or a a millennial preparatory millennial church. Um, so it's already in verse saying in verse fifteen saying, for they have strayed from my ordinances and have broken my everlasting covenant. Well. This has more reference to Joseph Smith's second ministry or right now than it does to his first. And how have we strayed from the ordinances? Well, let's look at that. Um, let's cross-reference that, verse 15, with DNC 39, verses 5 and 6. DNC 39, verses 5 and 6. How have we strayed from the ordinances? And verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth my gospel receiveth me and he that receiveth not my gospel receiveth not me now he tells us what his gospel is and this is my gospel repentance and baptism by water and then cometh the baptism of fire and the holy ghost even the comforter which showeth all things and teacheth the peaceable things of the kingdom so even in the lds church today the leadership of the lds church admits that and and almost david bednar has given given many talks about this particular subject that when at age eight when we lay our hands on a recently baptized member that when we say receive the holy ghost that we are not really giving the holy ghost that's an injunction that's a commandment that's an invitation if you can think of it like that for that in eight-year-old individual to then go out and seek the gift of the Holy Ghost. That baptism was a preparatory baptism with Aaronic priesthood and the confirmation into the preparatory church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is only preparatory. It's only an, an, an invitation or an injunction to then go out and receive, actually get that, the gift of the Holy Ghost. So wherein have we strayed from the ordinances? Well, again, um, verse 6 in DNC 39, uh, then cometh the baptism by of fire and the Holy Ghost. Now we don't even talk about that at all in in the modern day church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's never a mention of baptism of fire um, and re actually receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost as as suggested here and in DNC and in 35, 18, and 19, this and in Helaman 5, that this is actually and in 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 First Nephi chapter 1 with Lehi, when the pillar of fire comes down, this is an actual event that takes place in our lives. It's not a process. It is a process to get there, but there is an actual event that, that where we receive the baptism of fire and where we actually receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it doesn't happen at age eight, sitting in the cultural hall in the chair. So we have Verse 15, we've strayed from the ordinances. We've broken the new and everlasting covenant. We think today that the new and everlasting covenant is something entirely different than entering into covenant and giving our broken hearts and contrite spirits to the Lord. So I guess the next question that we could pose is what happened to the new and everlasting covenant? Where did it go? If we have broken it, where is it? Um, and I won't I won't get in too deep. I mean, it was lost 
during Joseph's time, and we were demoted as a church in DNC 84 for failing to enter into that covenant, which fullness is contained in the Book of Mormon. Um, but might I submit that it was replaced by something? And again, I won't get into too great of, of detail, and we won't talk about it here a lot, but I'll give you a breadcrumb trail that you can follow. Um, and the breadcrumb trail that I'll start you off with is. There was a section in DNC, it was known as DNC Section 101, and it was removed from the DNC in 1876. The, the DNC, the first edition was published in 1835, and it was published as DNC Section 101 in that edition. It was republished again in DNC as DNC Section 109 in the 1844 edition. And DNC Section 101, the removed section, is a statement on marriage. And it is actually quite beautiful, and I'd like to read it. Um, you, you can see it in the Joseph Smith papers. Um, if you just go and do a Google search, just type in DNC section 101 removed. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement on marriage. And use, use this section as, a, as the beginning of a breadcrumb trail for you if you want to understand what happened and where the new and everlasting covenant went. So look up DNC section 101 if you want to, the remove section in, in the Joseph Smith papers. I'm just going to read it because I, I really love it. It's just so beautiful. Statement on marriage, verse 1. According to the custom of all civilized nations, marriage is regulated by laws and ceremonies. Therefore, we believe that all marriages in this Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, remember, this is, this is a, a lower-level gospel. Uh, after 1835, in this Church of the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, should be solemnized in a public meeting or feast prepared for that purpose, and that the solemnization should be performed by a presiding high priest, high priest, bishop, elder, or priest, not even prohibiting those persons who are desirous to get married of being married by other authority. We believe that it is not right to prohibit members of this church from marrying out of the church, if it be their determination to do so but such persons will be considered weak in the faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Marriage should be celebrated with prayer and thanksgiving, and at the solemnizations, the, pers the persons to be married standing together, the man on the right and the woman on the left shall be addressed by the person officiating, and he shall be directed by the Holy Spirit. And if there be no legal objections, he shall say, calling each other by their names, you both mutually agree, mutually agree, to be each other's companion, husband, and wife, according to the legal rights belonging to this condition. That is, keeping yourselves holy for each other and from all others during your lives. And when they have answered yes, he shall pronounce them husband and wife in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by virtue of the laws of the country and authority vested in him, may God add his blessings and keep you to fulfill your covenants from henceforth and forever. Amen. Verse three, the clerk of every church should keep a record of all marriages solemnized in this branch. Although all legal contracts of marriage made before a person is baptized into this church should be held sacred and fulfilled. Inasmuch as this church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband except in the case of death, when either is at liberty to marry again. It is not right to persuade a man to be baptized contrary to the will of her husband, 
Neither is it lawful to influence her to leave her husband. All children are bound by law to obey their parents and to influence them to embrace any religious faith or be baptized or leave their parents without their consent is unlawful and unjust. We believe that all persons who exercise control over their fellow beings and prevent them from embracing the truth will have to answer for that sin. Um, I came across that probably 18 months ago, and I love it. I just think it's the most beautiful. It's the original proclamation on the family is the way I look at it, and I love it. Um, it's the original. It's, it's the most beautiful statement, statement on marriage that, that I've ever read. Um, so if you want to try and understand what happened to the new and everlasting covenant, there's a breadcrumb. Take that breadcrumb and, and follow it. Verse, verse 16 in DNC section one. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness. Now remember, we just talked about, about corrupting the ordinances and removing the new and everlasting covenant to, from the church. Who are these people that are doing this? They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. Wherefore, I, the Lord, knowing the calamity that should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant, Joseph Smith Jr., and spake unto him from heaven and gave him commandments. And so in verse 16, he tells us what is going to happen, what is upon us. And in verse 17, he gives us deliverance. And all we have to do, he's given Joseph Smith, both in his first ministry and, in, and right now in his second ministry, he's given him commandments and he's giving us commandments that we need to follow as well if we want deliverance. And I guess I could add that these, these commandments that we're talking about, they are not necessarily the Ten Commandments, are those, although those are important. This is not necessarily not coveting or not... or living a chaste life, not stealing, um, not having false idols before you. But those are all important. But entering into the new and everlasting covenant, that is, a, while that is a portion of that, entering into the new and everlasting covenant is the same thing that Nephi entered into in 1 Nephi 3.7. Um, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. In other words, that's Nephi's covenant right there. He is entering into the new and everlasting covenant with the Lord and promising to do the things, whatever the Lord gave, gave him. And this is before the Lord even asked him to do anything. Nephi had an entire life of crazy stuff. Like the next day after this, he was going to be chopping a guy's head off and taking the brass plates under, under disguise of night and stealing this guy, taking this guy's clothes, Laban's clothes and putting them on himself. He had no idea what he was getting into and being called to leave Jerusalem and wander in the wilderness for eight years and to build a boat and to molten ore and gold to engrave, to, to make plates so that he could engrave the history of his people on. These are all commandments that the Lord gave to Nephi and he was obedient. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the new and everlasting covenant. We're not talking about carnal commandments. We're talking about commandments that come from above, that come from the Lord, that guide us and lead us back to him. Section one, section one, back to section one, verse 18. And also gave commandments to others 
that they should proclaim these things unto the world. And all this, that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones, that man should not counsel his fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh, but that every man might speak in the name in the name of in the name of of God the Lord, even the Savior of the world, that faith might also increase in the earth, that my everlasting covenant might be established. So, how is that done? How is the everlasting covenant reestablished right now? Well, it's done right here and right now. We are doing it when we go out and when. We talk about the new and everlasting covenant when we teach the new and everlasting covenant, when we teach that we don't have to go through a man in order to get to God, we are teaching the new and everlasting covenant. We're teaching that we have to come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And we're doing it right here, right now in this very meeting. Um, verse 23, the NC1, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple Unto the ends of the unto the ends of the world, and before kings and rulers, and who? So it is not by the armies of nations. It is well. It's it's. He says it so 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 simple there by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world. Um, let's look at that now. That's how the new and everlasting covenant is disseminated through the world. Let's let's cross-reference that and look a little deeper at verse 23. Let's go to DNC section four. DNC section four was, remember, this is part of the book of commandments. And this is a commandment given to Joseph Smith Sr. Um, about what the Lord would have him do. Now, behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. And that has application to Joseph Smith Joseph Smith's first ministry, yes, but more so now. Now is when this is happening. Oh, therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. For behold, the field is white already to harvest, and lo, he that thrusteth in his sickle with all his might, the same layeth up in store, and he perisheth not but bring a salvation to his soul. And might I add that, behold, the field is white already to harvest. As I go throughout my day and as I go throughout my days talking to people, I see more and more people that are just recognizing and they are seeing with their own eyes everything that is going on in the church and in the world. And it is, it is just, it is amazing to me how how many people are seeing and understanding on their own. And it's, it's so beautiful. It's so awesome to witness how many people are seeing and just looking. In fact, let's share scripture real quick in DNC 123 that I wasn't planning on sharing. DNC 123 verse 12. For there are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie and wait to deceive and who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. So there are people out there searching and they see it, like they see it with their own eyes. And it is the coolest thing in the world. Like I said, to witness and to, to just talk to somebody and have them say, yeah, I've been seeing this for, for years now. I just didn't know what to do with it. Um, it's happening. It's happening. The field is white right now. 
verse five, and faith, hope, charity, and love with an eye single to the glory of God, qualify him for the work. So what do we need to go out and teach people about the new covenant? Well, we need faith, hope, charity, and love, and an eye single to the glory of God. That's all we need. Go out and do it. Remember, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence. Ask and ye shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. That was the commandment given to Joseph Smith Sr. It's interesting in, in DNC, let's go to DNC 6 here. DNC 5 is interesting as well. This is, the, this is a section to Martin Harris. Um, the commandment specifically given to Martin Harris. Uh, DNC, DNC six is commandments given to Martin or given to Oliver Cowdery. Oh, let's let's read DNC section five verse thirty five. That's really cool to Martin Harris. And if thou art faithful in keeping my commandments, thou shalt be lifted up at the last day. That's the thing. That's the same thing that Mormon says. He says, um, I know, even though. Even though all of my brethren, all of my kinfolk have gone astray, I still know that I will be lifted up at the last day. Martin Harris receives the exact same promise if he enters into the same covenant as Mormon. They both had different callings, different things that the Lord commanded them to do, but still both the same covenant, both entered into the new and everlasting covenant, and both end up at the same place. Notice in, in section six how almost the exact same commandments that have been given to Joseph's dad and Martin Harris are given to Oliver Cowdery, section six, verse three, behold, the field is white already to harvest. Therefore, whoso desireth to reap, let him thrust in his sickle with his might and reap while the day lasts that he may treasure up for his soul, everlasting salvation in the kingdom of God. In other words, the same promise that Martin Harris received, Oliver Cowdery receives, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. receives, Mormon receives, and you know it's the exact same promise for me and everybody else on this phone, on this on this Zoom right now, and everybody else in the entire world. We all have the same calling, which is DNC four, and the exact same promise if we fulfill that calling, which is to be lifted up at the last day. Uh, section one, verse twenty-four. Back to section one. Behold, I am God, and have spoken it. These commandments are of me and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner of their language that they might come to understanding. And inasmuch as they erred, it might be made known. And inasmuch as they sought wisdom, they might be instructed. And inasmuch as they sinned, they might be chastened and they might repent. And inasmuch as they were humble, they might be made strong and blessed from on high and receive knowledge from time to time. And I think we'll stop there. That's a good stopping point. Um, grateful to have been here. I'm grateful to have taught you tonight. I am so grateful for the doctrine of Christ. I love the doctrine of Christ. I love the new and everlasting covenant. That's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to do. I want my days consumed with the doctrine of Christ and with the new and everlasting covenant. I love it. So with that, um, Let's open it up to questions or experiences or any thoughts. Um, on your mark, get set, go.